My name is Albert. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you for asking me to speak this morning. Um, I was asked to speak about three weeks ago, and only last night did I realize it was the kitchen sink meeting. I'm like, wait a minute. I got the text. You'll be speaking for 30 minutes. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought I was going to speak at some small meeting. and uh, So this will be interesting. I, I think I've spoke here about a year, maybe two years ago. It's been a while. And I don't know exactly what I want to talk about. I'll talk about what got me here. Um, but I want to spend a lot of time on the spiritual awakening that, that I've had in these rooms and, and really on another level, um, I'll spend some time uh, talking about how I, I've just never in my life felt so, so happy and so good consistently for weeks now. I have not had a negative thought um, and transformation is and I this is not my quote and I'm going to butcher it. But transformation is when we look back and think to ourselves. I can't believe I used to do that or I can't believe I used to think that and that is my life today. I look back at the things that got me here which I'll talk about in more detail but I look back at that and I can't believe that I used to do those things and I can't believe the thoughts that I used to have about myself. I literally do not have those thoughts anymore and when they come up I just I I literally think to myself that is stupid why am I thinking that? And I'll talk about that in, in a little more detail. Um, I came into these rooms over eight years ago, close to nine maybe. Um, it was in August of 2008, I believe. If that's uh, almost nine years ago, then 2008 is right. Um, I came in completely broken, completely broken. I was a non-functioning compulsive overeater. And I have multiple addictions, but compulsive overeating is my main thing. Um, I want to say that I was born a compulsive overeater, but that's bullshit. I was not born a compulsive overeater. I was born a child of God. And as perfect as a child can be that is born of God, that is how I was born. And that is, that is what I've come to recognize in this program. I'm a child of God and I'm a man of faith. And that's part of my daily affirmations. And I'll talk about that a little more later. Um, having not been born um, a compulsive overeater, I can't say when it started, but it started as as far back as I can remember. I was always a lonely little boy and food was kind of the thing that helped me stave off the anxiety that I would feel uh, in my loneliness. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of friends in school. I had a, a lot of the things that happened to me that happened to us. Um, that might be able to explain some of the some of some of this and I don't want to talk about it from a therapeutic perspective um, because I experienced trauma as a child uh, I had some sexual abuse I felt neglected I felt um, abandoned in a lot of ways I was bullied but I don't know if that's the reason why I'm a compulsive overeater. I really don't. 
Um, and to be totally honest, uh, my compulsive overeating was really a blessing. So maybe those things caused me to compulsively eat, but at this point in my life, I'm beginning to see my, my, um, my acting out in my addictive behaviors was really just a blessing. It was, it was my price to admission to being here today. Um, so, um, having had those experience, experiences though as a, as a child, I, I can remember as, as far back uh, hiding food. When my mom would come home from the market, I would uh, already start to hoard and hide things behind other things. Um, and my mom would always threaten to put a lock on the refrigerator. Um, I had three brothers and we would go through two weeks of food in a couple of days. Um, so, fast forward. Um, I don't know how far I want to fast forward. I'm excited to get to the spiritual awakening. Um, I was never without the thought that I was not good enough. Like, not whatever enough, right? I, I was always very conscious uh, that I was the fat kid. Like, I, I just knew that. And my mom would take me and my brother shopping, and I didn't fit into anything in the kids' section. Um, and there was always this the dread of, on my mom's face as she's trying to help me pick up my pants. And... Um, and they wouldn't go up and she would all this anxiety say we can't go to the we can't shop for you in the men's section and and that anxiety like i i felt it and i didn't know what to do about it as a kid i didn't know that what i ate is what showed up on my body i just ate um and i was who i was i didn't know that that being bigger than everybody else was a bad thing or at least when I was bullied, it was just sort of a thing, like this is who I am. It wasn't a, a thing that I thought I was causing. Um, so now we're going to fast forward. Um, I was a swimmer and water polo player in high school and in college. Um, I used to swim in the morning and then regular practice and then go to club team in high school so I can basically eat whatever I wanted. Not whatever, but pretty much whatever. Um, because I was in the water for six hours a day. So my compulsive overeating didn't show up on my body until a month after stopping all swimming and water polo. Like the time between sports ending and graduation in high school, I had put on a considerable amount of weight. Uh, and I thought the way to, to keep that off would be to join the military. And I did that thinking that that will be how I'll look good and I'll be it enough and the recruiter sold me on if I want to be a man that I had to do this thing. Um, that didn't work and it didn't help. I got written up for my weight in the military. Um, not thankfully, but I was injured so I got to come out of the military and then I went back to college and got back into sports and again managed to, to keep my weight off. Um, by binging, restricting, and then compulsively exercising. Uh, and that was my story for years. Um, 
early in college, I got into a bad motorcycle accident. And in that accident, or after the accident, um, I learned that I could knock myself out with painkillers and alcohol. So whatever I was feeling, I can just sleep through it. And I slept for about a year. And I dieted and slept. I would wake up, eat, binge, and then I'd knock myself out. Um, and the negative thoughts that I had as a child that followed me my entire life uh, continued. And they were always the same thoughts about not being good enough. Um, and aside from the thought, uh, uh, like the feeling of the feeling that I was unlovable and worthless and no one cared about me and nobody, I, I would go, I would go to parties with friends and I'd imagine myself not there and believing that it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like if I was not here, it would not matter. Everything would continue happening the way it was happening and, and my existence just didn't matter. Um, those thoughts following the motorcycle accident had me living as a shut-in for a short amount of time. So I decided that I was going to figure this out. I was going to go to college and get my degree in psychology. And I did that. And I, I'm kind of a nerd, so I, I do a lot of reading, a lot of reading. And I did a lot of trying to figure this out, and it didn't work. Um, so I went for a master's degree. And... Uh, <laughs> I got that, and uh, and still it did not work. Um, I have my doctorate as well, and <laughs> I'm skipping a lot of the the rock bottom stuff. Um, but at the end, when I finished my PhD, I I thought I was completely fucked because there wasn't anybody that can tell me anything that I didn't already know. Um, and not to be arrogant, but I was desperate. I was trying to save my own life. I was trying to figure out a way to get past my negative thoughts about myself. And food allowed me to, to mitigate all of the, the consequences of, of the negative thinking. Um, while I was in graduate school, I stumbled on a job. And when I went into that job, it was a 24-7 kind of operation. I went into that job weighing 200 pounds and I left weighing about 320. When I left that, I left that job when I finished my PhD and then I, I started my, my professional career in compulsive overeating and addictive behavior, uh, living as a shut-in for somewhere around three years. I wouldn't leave my house but to get food, drugs, alcohol, um, or attention from women, to be completely and totally honest and transparent. I went through periods where I was not touched for years, literally years, um, and and in that pain, in the literally in the physical pain, I would go out and I would hire women to hold me and tell me that I'd be okay. Um, so the loneliness and the thoughts that got me to acting out and so many different addictive behaviors uh, were really a result of my addiction to the negative thoughts that I was just not good enough. Um, at my highest, my weight was 350 pounds. Nothing in my house fit me. Or over 350 pounds. My brother, who could possibly be like one of those 
carnival, let me guess your weight kind of people would always look at me and say, what are you, about 350, 360? And I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm 280. I think I'm 280. Um, and I really, thought, I really thought I was that until I got on a scale one day and I'm like, this scale's broken. And I went to my mom's house and I got on that scale and I said the same thing. I'm like, this fucking scale is broken. And I literally broke her scale. I didn't break my scale. I broke her scale. I was angry and I, and I picked it up and I threw it and I broke it. And I went to Target and bought a new scale and I got on that one. And sure enough, um, that scale said 323 pounds. And this was after um, spending two months diligently on a diet that I, that I kept. And I really, at that point, thought I should be about 280 right now. And I wasn't. Um, I don't know how long I've been talking for. But I want to talk about my, my rock bottom, my actual rock bottom. And I've said it before, but for anyone who might be listening um, to the audio, um, it literally was the happiest day of my life. The happiest day of my life uh, was the day that I decided that I was going to kill myself. Um, and I had suicidal thoughts for years, for years, since the age of 21, uh, at least. And I decided that I was going to end my suffering, and I got what I needed. And in that week before, I decided to, well, I didn't decide, I just, I literally became another person. I went around my family, and I can tell that my mom was both worried about me and at the same time happy to see that that I wasn't suffering. And I know that she was wondering what had happened. And my entire life, I bet I was I would pray to God, God, please send me a job, send me a woman who, to love me, or send me something to give me meaning or purpose in my life. And nothing came. And I know that my mom thought maybe something like that had happened. Um, and it didn't. I had just, with my whole heart, knew that my suffering was going to end. So I was said, I basically said my goodbyes to my family, went to Arizona to be with my best friend for the last time, um, and his family, and after that I would go to Las Vegas and end my life there. So I went to Arizona to be with my best friend, and on Saturday night, uh, I was sitting on his couch and everyone had gone to sleep and I was watching TV and my phone rang from across the room and before it woke up his kids, I jumped up to go pick up the phone. I um, answered the phone instead of, and I remember the little egg-shaped phone that I used to have, picking it up and looking at it and instead of hitting the red button, I picked it up and it was my brother who said, I just asked Adrian to marry me, will you be my best man? And. I listened to him and I, after a minute, just said yes. And when we got off the phone, I was trying to think, how the hell am I going to get past this? Like, how am I going to go back to my plan? And I knew that I couldn't. So I came home. Um, I thought that I can get through this. And I started the whole dieting and positive affirmations and everything that I knew would work. Um, and I could not, I could not stick to my diet. I, as hard as I tried, uh, I kept falling back into old patterns. Um, and I knew that I wouldn't make it to the wedding and I had to find a therapist. Um, I'll also say that when I came home from that trip, 
I let my mom know how I was feeling uh, and that I was suicidal. And she pulled out of her purse a list of suicide numbers because she was so scared for me. She had already done all of that research. Um, and interesting enough, when you call them and you're like, I'm not going to kill myself, but what can I do? They don't have any fucking information for you. <laughs> if you're about to do it, they tell you, go to the emergency room or go to UCLA. And I'm like, but I'm okay right now. I just need help. I just need help. And no one had any answers. Um, so long story short, I found a therapist. Um, and that therapist said, uh, because I really believe that if I only lost the weight that I could improve every other area of my life. And that therapist said, go to, go to Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was so offended. I was so offended. And, uh, and for months, she kept telling me about a meeting. And my last diet was that 500 calorie a day diet where you inject yourself uh, in the stomach with some something. Um, and I was losing weight and I thought, look, I look great. And my therapist said, Albert, you look like shit. Your skin is gray. You look horrible. Go to a meeting. And I'm like, I'm not going to go to a meeting. The diet ended and I lost like 40 pounds. And I put on a good amount of that back in, in like about a week and a half, two weeks. And... I was completely broken and I and and my therapist said there's a there's a meeting down the street it was the Tuesday night meeting at the log cabin she said go to that meeting and I said okay I'll go and she says great call me after and I'm like shit now I gotta go to this meeting <laughs> and uh, I went to the meeting and the woman who was speaking that night told my story and um, my story was coming from someone I never imagined would have the kind of thoughts that I had about myself. And in that moment, I found my home. Um, I found a sponsor. I made it to my brother's wedding. Um, October 25th was the day that my brother got married. And I say that I, I didn't kill myself for, for my mom, uh, I um, came to OA for my therapist. I got abstinent for my first sponsor. On October 25th, uh, when I went to my brother's wedding, that is the day that I start to count my abstinence because that was the day that I had to do this for myself. Um, I've been abstinent for over eight years. The longest relationship I've had in my life is, oh man, I didn't talk about my spiritual awakening in five minutes. Um, <laughs> um, the longest relationship I've had in my life has been with my, my sponsor. I've disappeared on everybody else. I'm learning how to have healthy relationships with people because my help, my help, my greatest long love of my life is pizza on a Saturday night. Like I can do that and feel so comfortable, but I can't be around people that I love. I push them all away. Um, I don't do that anymore. I'm hoping somebody's going to ask me about my spiritual awakening on a side note. Um, <laughs> but 
I am truly transformed as a result of working the steps and showing up and being rigorously honest. I'll say that my abstinence is three meals a day, two optional snacks, and I have a meal plan that is very loving and very forgiving. And while my abstinence, I've stayed consistent for eight years without an issue, my meal plan will fluctuate in a very loving way so that I can invite God into the process. Um, and I'll say this in five minutes, and I've said this before, and I love to say this metaphor, um, but my higher power has evolved in the years that I've been in program. And the, the one metaphor that I've used that stuck with me the longest is um, the Hubble telescope. Uh, some years ago, I think in 96, um, pointed the Hubble telescope, uh, NASA pointed the Hubble telescope at an area of sky no bigger than a grain of sand stretched out at arm's length. So this tiny piece of sky. And scientists said, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And for 10 days, they pointed it at this one area. Um, and over that 10 days, photons that had been traveling for thousands of, of years came to light in the sensors of the Hubble telescope, um, revealing 3,500 galaxies, each containing billions of stars. And when I first heard that, that became my higher power. My higher power is the tiniest, tiniest thing in me that I don't believe there's anything there. And with a little time and patience, what's been revealed to me was compassion and love and forgiveness and everything, everything that's good about our humanity is also in me. Where I only thought I was a piece of shit, there's nothing good about me, I'm a bad person, I'm an evil person, there's just nothing there that's good. That I, I finally realized this, this poem that I had read when I was a kid, it's not a poem, it's just a quote. Um, and I didn't get it, but it seemed to encompass the pain that I feel in my body. And uh, Rumi, Rumi says, you're not a drop in the entire ocean. You're the entire ocean in a single drop. And the first time I heard that, it resonated with me on a level that I just, I couldn't put to words. And now that I know what that means, I have the spirit of humanity in me and all that is good and all that is bad I've come to love and I get to shine the light on everything good about me and I my spiritual transformation is really it's become this connection to all that's good in humanity that when I think about what it means to be restored to sanity I get to be restored to a point before all of the negative thoughts or negative voices or negative stories told me that I wasn't good enough. That point to being born a child of God, that being restored to sanity just might mean that I could be restored to a man of God. And until that day comes, I, I, I'm a man of faith and I do everything believing that no matter where this road takes me, I know that it's God's road for me. Um, I genuinely believe that being restored to sanity could also mean being restored to love. That instead of praying for the thing that I think is going to give me love, instead of praying for love to come to me or for me to find some place to give love to, that I could just be love all the time. And when I think to myself, um, 
love I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self so that I can better do your will. That when I remind myself of that, I can go out into the world and actually be the person that God meant for me to be. And that is what it means to have a spiritual transformation and to be restored to sanity. And I'm really grateful for this program. It saved my life. It's given me my life. I, I am forever grateful for everybody that I've ever met in these rooms. And thank you for letting me share. This is time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking a question, you need not identify yourself. Um, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. Ziva? <laughs> so I had this story my entire life that nobody would ever love me. And I've had to work multiple programs. And, um, and I was wor- I've been in years for, an, you know, in another program. And a year and a half ago, this woman walks in and her eyes meet. And my stomach, like, has all these butterflies in it. And I'm like, oh, my God. I need to stay away from that girl, right? I cannot talk to that girl. And for a year and a half, I've had this crush on her. And this is a big part of my story that I don't feel lovable. I I used to say, why would anybody ever want to be with me? And I literally, like, push away anybody that showed any interest. And for the last year and a half, I had a crush on this girl. And... I thought, I need to just ask her out. I need to ask her out. And for a month, I was saying this to myself. And at the end of the year last year, I spent three months saying, if I can be, you know, if I can have a super clean abstinence and I can, you know, stay away from all addictive behaviors on January 1st, I'm going to ask her out. And, uh, and that date came and went. And... Um, I kept saying to myself, I need to do this. I have to ask her out. And I decided that I was going to do it. And for a month, I was trying to corner her at a meeting, trying to get her attention. I couldn't get her attention. And I'm like, but I need to do this. So I I decided I'm just going to call her. And I I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I am going to love you more than anyone is ever going to love you. You're a child of God. You're a man of faith. You're a good man. Anybody would be lucky to be with you. You, It's time to live your life. It's time to get out there. Pick up the phone and call her. They picked up the phone. I called her. It went to voicemail. I'm like, that's okay. I know what I'm going to say. Her voicemail box was full. <laughs> now she's got a missed call from me and I started to freak out and that night I prayed to God for a miracle and I got my miracle the next morning I woke up and I was completely and totally in love with myself and I took myself out on a date 
and I went to dinner at night and then to a movie and I went to see Beauty and the Beast because that story with me resonated. Uh, and the beginning of the story says uh, after he's cursed um, and only the love of a woman can save him the line in the movie was and he began to lose all hope for who should ever love a beast and I'm in the theater and, and I'm starting to like get really choked up because that was not my story and I realized that I had not had a negative thought about myself in a while I couldn't remember and I never once told myself that she would not want to go out with me. I was actually thinking she'd be stupid to not want to go out with me. I just did not want to go out with me the entire time. So, and that was the, the spiritual awakening was I, I woke up one day and the story that I was not enough just wasn't there. And it, on, on, it, in my bones, everything that I told myself that got me into the rooms was a story that I had just decided one day wasn't true and um, and now my default thinking is like this motivational speaker in my head and it always starts with I love you more than anyone is ever going to love you and when I say that it feels so good it feels so exciting um, God is the only one who loves me more than I love myself and I can show up to my life. The spiritual awakening is when I woke up in that kind of abundance, the spiritual awakening was I can show up to my life and honor God. I can show up to my life and honor my family and the people that I love. So my behavior isn't if I do this, then I'll get more God. If I do this, then I'll get her attention. If I do this, then I'll get those clients. I don't think about that. I show up. And I honor God by showing the value that I have, by respecting myself um, and respecting that all I'm able to give. And it is, it's an absolute miracle. I don't know where that came from. It just happened one day and it feels good. Yes? I feel like my recovery has not been tested because um, because I haven't had I haven't had the love of my life cheat on me or I haven't felt abandoned um, I haven't experienced the illness or a loss of a parent but I continue to show up like a man of faith knowing that I've seen other people struggle with these things these horrific things I've heard in the rooms and that they've been able to handle it with with grace and, and dignity and when I chose my sponsor when God chose my sponsor for me um, it was because she had so much grace like and that's what I wanted in that the struggles that she articulated um, in the time that I'd watch her she was showing up to it with a level of, of self-compassion that I didn't think was possible. And I believe that life is going to happen to me too. 
and I'm, I'm actually grateful and looking forward to the, to the heartache because my entire life I've, I've kept anyone who loved me at bay and I've pushed away everybody that I've loved um, so that one day I might feel that kind of pain is something that I'm now looking forward to. I'd be blessed to be I would be blessed in, in anything that happens to me. It's just going to be a part of life. Six and seven? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a good question. <laughs> I can, you know, the academic in me wants to say, well, I wrote, or wrote down my character defects on a card and find them. And on the back of the card was the exact opposite. But I, I say from time to time that I don't work the steps in OA. The steps work me. So I moved through the steps really slow. In other programs, I went through it really, really quick. But my character defects kind of leave me when I recognize that that's just not, that's just not me. I, and I'll give you an example. I was at the gym on Monday, and this guy looks at me. He's kind of giving me a dirty look, and, and I'm like, all right, all right. And he walks by and gives me a dirty look. He walks by, I'm at another machine, he's kind of looking at me again, and I'm like, what the hell is this guy's problem? Um, and I'm at another machine, and he looks down at me, and he's walking by me really slow, and he says something, and I take off my headphones, and I'm like, what? And he says, what does that machine do? And he didn't know what he was doing. He's walking around looking at everybody, trying to figure out what he's doing. And my character defect is that part of me that's afraid, wants to lash out, wants to push away, wants to get combative, wants to get, you know, it shows up, it shows up. And my new mantra is, um, it's not my mantra, but it's, it's more, it's recognizing that just be love, just be love all the time all the time and I don't have to worry about what someone else's intentions are so when my character defects come up and they don't come up anymore they just um, isolation comes up you know that sometimes comes up a little bit of self-sabotage comes up and that I am holding a space for it where where I just there's a lot of love for this space there's just a lot of love for for the things that come up when I show up and I'm not in my best self um, I'm just mindful of it and I really focus on um, addressing who I am when a negative thought or a negative thought attached to a character defect comes up I'm not a wounded child I'm not a victim I'm not a survivor I'm not a fighter I, I can let those personas that are in me, I can, those all have a story, they all have a thought pattern, and I can let those go. Um, my character defects don't belong to the grace of God. And if I am carrying myself in my best self and embody the grace of God, I don't have the, those defects. Um, and the periods that I am able to, to be in that place 
are so much longer than the periods where the victim in me or the fighter in me comes up. So, Ellie? Thank you, Alfred. What do you do? Uh, I have two questions. Huh? First one is, what do you do on a daily basis for your spiritual life? And second, what happened with the girl? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the girl, I called her back a couple days later, and I left a message. And then two days later, I saw her at a meeting. Um, and my gut said, she's not, she's not ready. She's not ready. And that's another part of the spiritual awakening, is that I don't think about what I'm going to do and do it. I, I trust my gut. I'm learning to really get out of my head and just trust my gut. So I haven't asked her out, and I'm totally okay with that. I'm happily single. And um, what do I do on a daily basis? I wake up really early in the morning. I go to the gym. I keep the monitor of the... There's a TV monitor on on my gym uh, bike. I like to ride the bike. And I look at myself. That is kind of like my mirror, and I do a lot of affirmations. Um... I listen to positive music, only positive music. I used to do just love songs and because I needed to make the, uh, the gym a loving place to be. So the love songs were songs to God or God to me, and I had to make the gym a loving place. And if um, early on in, in program, if I had negative thoughts looking at myself in the mirror at the gym, I had to leave. And there was a, at least a few times where I'd get on the machine, start my, my thing, look at myself in the mirror, and then I'd have to leave because I couldn't, I couldn't be there in a loving way. So um, I do that. Now it's just motivational speakers. Anything that's going to fill my head with a default thought process to love myself. Um, I, go, I go home. I do breath work for a certain amount of time. And then I, I go into meditation. Um, and then uh, I take a cold shower, literally a cold shower. Uh, and, and the thought process behind that is when I stop fighting the cold and accept it, then I'm, I'm able to. And that's everything that I, I do in my life. When I stop fighting and accept, then I'm able to endure um, whatever stress or anxiety. Um, and all of that, there's a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation, and then I get into my day for work, and then I go to a meeting almost every single night. And there's a few days where I go to meetings in the morning also. Um, so the biggest aspect of my social life really are the rooms, like multiple programs, um, completely surrendered to being of service to others and, and showing up for my own recovery. I think we have got time for maybe a quick one. Possibly. Two minutes? No? Okay. Or not. Oh, yes? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, it it was getting out of my head. It was, and I love I love talking about this too. That I thought my affirmations were purely intellectual, 
And it's that thought process that removes the fear from in front of me. And I recognized that the fear is not in front of me. The fear is not in front of me. Um, whatever I want, the fear, there is no barrier between me and what I want. That the barrier is between my head and my heart. And when I address the fear that blocks me from my passion, then I'm able to at least think about what I want in a healthy way. The next level of fear is to break through my, my heart and my gut. That I might know what I'm passionate about, but does it feel right in my gut? Um, and I think that that's the thing, that my recovery now, it's not that my affirmations are something that resonate intellectually. My affirmations resonate on a, on a deep level in, in my heart and in my gut. That when I'm moving toward, and it's, you know, the fear between my gut and my feet is also the, another big thing. That when my gut is saying no, that I'm able to walk in the right direction. Or when my gut says, yes, I'm able to walk in that direction. So that my affirmations have taken on a far less intellectual quality is the thing that's different. Because I was trying to intellectualize my way through my recovery and know the neuroscience and the psychology and the, you know, um, you know, having, yeah, these crazy metaphors that tried to get me in alignment. And when I, when I just started acting in alignment in who I was, um, the affirmations just felt right. Um, I'm not trying to convince myself of who I am. I know who I am. I'm a child of God and a man of faith. And so long as I am acting in integrity with that, um, I'm, I'm okay. That's my time. Thank you so much for letting me